0: Historic Mercy Hospital in Bronzeville was more than a building. It was family to many of the employees and patients who walked through its doors. Mercy was a linchpin on the south side, where access to health care has been vanishing for years. But the hospital was also hemorrhaging money, and new owners took over in June. WBEZ's Kristen Schorsch spent more than a year documenting Mercy's downfall, and how it reflects the struggle to provide health care to the people who need it most.
1: What's this? That's my gin and tonic.
0: It's Memorial Day,
2: close to midnight, and the scene in the parking lot of Chicago's historic Mercy Hospital is like a tailgate party. Music is blaring, there's a table heavy with food, drinks all around.
1: I think it's just pink lemonade.
2: Dr. Adele Cobbs, who helped lead Mercy's ER, takes a sip.
1: No, it's not just pink lemonade.
2: Stiff drinks aside, this isn't just any tailgate. It's more of a wake, or a celebration of life. A toast to Mercy, Chicago's oldest chartered hospital. In the crowd are nurses, doctors, technicians. It's a family, and they've come to say goodbye. Because within the hour, a new owner takes over, and Cobbs and hundreds of other employees are not sticking around.
1: It just wasn't gonna be Mercy. There was no signs of Mercy in this plan. you know, Mercy's not a building, it's it's the people.
2: She points to the building where she grew up and says how much she's intertwined in this community. How Mercy is home. But just 30 minutes after we spoke, that would change for good. This is the story of how Mercy disappeared. In July of last year, in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, Mercy's leaders delivered a jolt the hospital would close in 2021. Ultimately, it would get bought in the 11th hour. But until then, Mercy would slowly fade away as the community it served battled to save it. All we hear every day is
1: people doing press conferences where Black Lives Matter is coming out of their mouths. When it counts, our lives really don't matter.
2: As a so-called safety net hospital, Mercy treated mostly poor, elderly, and Black patients in an area where health disparities raged.
1: As an OB serving the community, I see the lack of care for these patients.
2: Today's story is about more than just a hospital going under. It's a window into why healthcare is so unequal and to the struggle to provide treatment to the people who need it most.
1: Unless we change the underlying medical system in this country, these hospitals cannot survive because we set up a structure that makes it impossible.
2: Mercy has a rich legacy. It was about 170 years old and survived the Great Chicago Fire. It trained generations of doctors and treated lots of famous patients, from Teddy Roosevelt to Muhammad Ali. And so many people who work there say it was a special place. Dr. John Patterson was an OBGYN who spent 45 years at Mercy.
1: And back then, you know, everybody, it was like a big family, really. Everybody would have a wonderful party. So, you, you know, you got a chance to know everybody in the hospital.
2: It's where Patterson met his wife. Many employees have these deep connections Mercy is where they were born, is where they and their own families and friends go when they get sick. Dr. Alan Jackson was a cardiologist at Mercy who grew up across the street, skateboarding in the shadow of the hospital as a kid.
1: I mean, I might have a guy from Streets and Sands, bridge border who may be related to one of the politicians. I may have someone from Chinatown that speaks a dialect called Taichanese, which is rare. We have nurses who can speak that. We have Latino patients, and then we have our black population. So you just see a slice of real Chicago at Mercy.
2: But here's another reality. The South Side is a healthcare desert where people have dramatically less access to care than in whiter, richer parts of Chicago. There's a severe drought of physicians, even though people who live here tend to get sicker and die younger. So Mercy was an oasis, but safety nets like it are bleeding money. They're losing patients, and the ones who do show up often have no insurance, or the insurance they do have doesn't nearly cover the cost to treat them. That puts these hospitals in the worst position to provide care to the most vulnerable people. You can hear how frustrating this is to those who've worked there, like John Patterson.
1: The reason that there's a problem with safety nets is because uh, the people that live in the safety net, you know. The problem is is that black and brown people are not valued. Our lives are not valued.
2: And when safety nets cut services are closed, the people left behind feel abandoned, like these hospitals just didn't try hard enough.
1: I actually thought I was going to die, and I owe my life to Mercy Hospital. If they closed Mercy, then where would I
2: be? 92-year-old Dolores Wilson lives less than a mile from the hospital. She was treated there last spring when her intestines became inflamed. When the pain came back a few weeks later, she called an ambulance.
1: And I said, well, just take me to Mercy. They said, we can't take you to Mercy. I said, but I was at Mercy before. They said, we cannot take you to Mercy. They're closed or whatever. I said, no, they're not. I was there just a couple, few weeks ago.
2: Mercy's ER was so short of nurses that paramedics for months had been taking patients to other hospitals. That created a domino effect. Wilson says she waited 14 hours in another hospital's packed ER. Finally, she got frustrated and left without ever seeing a doctor. Mercy turned down all of our interview requests, so we spent some time in another Southside Safety Net hospital, one that's wrestling with the same issues.
0: I'm Yolanda Penny. I'm the director of nursing here at St. Bernard's. I've been here 29 years. It's mid-July,
2: and Penny is showing me around. St. Bernard is in Englewood about five miles south of Mercy.
0: Okay, we're going to go to the emergency room on Mr. Howard's there. Please be patient with us.
1: We're doing a little reconstruction in our ED.
2: The emergency department is like a hospital's front door, but over the sound of construction, Penny tells me she doesn't have nearly enough nurses
3: to work it. So I'll give you an example. Tonight, I'm challenged. I have four nurses scheduled. I should have nine.
2: When the pandemic hit last year, Many nurses left for private agencies that paid, in some cases, six times more than St. Bernard.
3: It's sometimes debilitating, um, where there are those of us who come in and help work
0: just to make sure they can get through the day.
2: I catch up with Penny later. She says overnight, the ER was full. There was a patient who was shot multiple times, a sick baby, a woman who said she'd already been to three other ERs. And two of them were so slammed, people were waiting outside in lawn chairs. So Penny the director of nursing, scrubbed up and went to work as an ER nurse.
1: We as Safety Net Hospitals are here to serve as a community, to make sure that they stay safe. But as far as resources, we do not have those.
2: The struggles have been much the same at Mercy. And last year, leaders there said they had reached a breaking point. The hospital was losing at least $4 million a month. Mercy's owners tried, but failed, to save the hospital with a billion-dollar merger. So in July of 2020, they announced the hospital would close this year. There was immediate outrage. What would happen to patients of this oasis in this healthcare desert disappeared? Here's Dr. John Patterson again.
1: So basically, you're releasing these patients and you really don't have any place for them to land. It's like pushing them out of a plane without a parachute.
2: Over the next several months, it would be a long fall
0: but mercy Hospital's supporters wouldn't go down without a fight for nearly a year they protested and lobbied for mercy's owners to keep it open ultimately the hospital would be sold to a new owner in the second chapter Kristen Shores documents how the battle eroded trust among the Southside residents Mercy served.
3: This letter is to inform you that Dr. Nazar Basra, Dr. Theodore Christow, Dr. Marjorie... Etta Davis
2: sits on a bench outside her apartment in Bronzeville and reads one of a handful of letters she got in the mail last March.
3: Uh, I have five and they all say the same thing. It's just the different doctors telling us that they'll be leaving Mercy Hospital.
2: Davis grew angry She lives in Dearborn Homes Public Housing a few blocks away. Some of her neighbors couldn't afford car fare, but they could walk to Mercy. She was there about every three months to ease the arthritis in her spine or keep her blood sugar in check. And she'd been through this before. She went to Michael Reese Hospital on the south side before that place closed, more than a decade ago.
3: This whole thing is like a nightmare all over again, you know, because when Michael Reese closed down, you know, we had to scuffle around try and get different medical records and things transferred over to Mercy, and now we're doing the same thing.
2: In July of last year, in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic, Mercy leaders announced the hospital would close this spring. The South Side already was a healthcare desert. It's much harder here for patients to find doctors than in richer, wider parts of Chicago. So at 67 years old, Davis wasn't going down without a fight. In the coming months, she would deliver one fiery speech after another.
3: We have always had substandard care in our communities. And now, instead of helping to improve the only hospital in our area, you slap us in the face again by talking about closing it down. Well, I'm calling on whomever it takes to save Mercy Hospital.
2: Today, we go inside the fierce fight to save Mercy, a safety net hospital that treated mostly poor, elderly, and black patients. In an area where health disparities raged, But it was bleeding money. It was struggling to survive. And the battle to save it began immediately and would be waged by the very community it served. Who has forgiven more evil
1: than us? And we have to sit here and beg for a hospital. I was born at Mercy Hospital. My two brothers are born at Mercy Hospital. And we want Mercy Hospital to be here today and here forever. We are no longer
2: asking for mercy. We are demanding mercy. Mercy declined all of our interview requests. But the fight wasn't just about saving this hospital. It was about the glaring lack of investment in Black communities for generations. G2 Brown led many of the Mercy protests.
1: Grocery stores, schools, hospitals, quality housing. You kill a community by divesting in those institutions.
2: More than 1,000 people worked at Mercy, but they were largely missing from the outcry. They were banned from speaking out. That inspired Dr. Anadeep Dasaraju to join the fight.
1: We want to treat these patients. We care about these patients.
2: As a resident, Dasaraju wasn't on Mercy's payroll, so he couldn't be silenced.
1: We sit at the bedside with these patients. We stay up for 24 hours and longer with these patients to make sure they get through the night. Do not abandon this community that we care about.
2: While all these protests raged in the streets, the battle to keep Mercy open was also happening in government hearings. Because in Illinois, you can't just decide to close a hospital one day and shut it down the next. There's a process. A state regulatory board had to sign off, and the community hoped the board would block Mercy's closure. But here's the issue.
1: Before I even agreed to be on this board, I know very well this board has no real power.
2: Dr. Linda Ray Murray sits on the Illinois Health Facilities and Services Review Board. It's supposed to be a check on the hospital industry. Say a hospital wants to open a big clinic or close a pediatric unit. It must first get the board's blessing. But this board can't force medical providers to do more or less, like keep a hospital open, even if it's on the brink.
1: If you don't have power to help finance that hospital, then it's really a shadow power.
2: It's what Murray sees as part of a bigger problem that healthcare in America prioritizes money over patients.
1: These votes to close in a system like ours, a capitalist system like ours, are sort of amusing. Medical care system in this country is designed to maximize profits, period.
0: Good morning. We represent the Illinois Health Facilities and Services Review Board. We're
2: here there were months here. of public hearings public and board hearings hearings meetings with program. hours and Project hours of testimony Project. from people imploring Mercy Project. to stay open. Dasaraju was among those who laid out what was at stake.
1: I treated three cardiac arrests in an hour and a half two weeks ago, where time was of the essence. People showed up dead. They did not leave my emergency department dead.
2: Patients shared personal stories of how Mercy saved their lives. Doctors feared their poor patients would get shut out of other hospitals. The community wanted more of a say. Trust had been broken.
1: Mercy is not just an empty building and a plot of land for auction. She has a life and a soul.
2: Dr. Adele Cobbs in Mercy's ER took part in a failed bid to buy the hospital.
1: She serves the community and is part of the community, and that community belongs to me and countless others.
2: Meanwhile, as the battle forged ahead, Mercy, as Chicago knew it, slowly began to disappear. The crosses came off the walls in this Catholic hospital. Mercy's once-busy ER had stopped accepting city ambulances, so other hospital ERs that were already slammed had to absorb even more patients. That's because people at Mercy were beginning to disappear.
1: There were not enough nurses. There were not enough staff.
2: Susan Ward delivered babies at Mercy for years. She says the staffing shortage made it unsafe for her patients, something Mercy's former owners dispute. Still, Ward's clinics reluctantly left for another hospital.
1: I mean, a whole service after 30-some years of delivering in, in a space to go somewhere else was just, you know, it was just so scary for all of us and our patients. I'm still hurting. I'm still hurting. I love that hospital.
2: In March of this year, and the 11th hour, after months of pleading and protests and hearings, something happened that no one was expecting. A company called Insight from Flint, Michigan, won state approval to buy Mercy, and took over on June 1st. But the hospital would get a new identity. Atif Bawahab is the CEO of what's now called Insight Hospital and Medical Center.
0: What we're walking into is essentially a shell of what this hospital used to be.
2: He's slowly rebuilding what was lost. Surgeries have resumed. So is intensive care for the sickest people. But it's also about rebuilding trust with the community.
3: We were not embraced with open arms by any means.
2: Bawahab says Insight has sincere intentions. For her part, Ada Davis, the former Mercy patient and activist, says she's keeping an eye out.
3: We're not just in the fight for Mercy Hospital. We're in the fight to make sure that we get equality in health care. We thank God for the battle that's won, but it's not over yet.
2: Kristen Schorsch, WBEZ News.
0: Mercy Hospital's mission was to treat people who often had nowhere else to go. But many so-called safety nets, like Mercy, operate on the financial brink. I talked with Kristen about the future of safety nets and what they'll need to stay afloat. Kristen, thanks for joining us. Sure, thanks for having me. Mercy was an oasis in a healthcare desert on Chicago's south side, and most of its patients were elderly, poor, or African American. What did reporting this story tell you about the struggles of Mercy and other safety net hospitals?
2: Well, I've reported on safety nets for a long time, so I knew going into this that they just never have enough money coming in, that they are just really short on resources. But talking to so many people who work in safety nets, not just in Chicago, but across the country, was really revealing. At Mercy, a lot of employees told me how the hospital was deteriorating over the years. And can you tell us what kind of
0: problems they were seeing?
2: So a big example was there was this wildly fluctuating HVAC system. So sometimes nurses thought that sweating patients were spiking fevers, but really the rooms were just too hot. So doctors and nurses would use fans and ice packs to cool the patients down. You know, Mercy's owner sunk a lot of money into the hospital. You know, there were more than $100 million spent on infrastructure updates, another $100 million plus on operating costs. But still, there was another at least $100 million needed for dire repairs. I mean, Russ covers the entire frame of the hospital. You know, I think what's important to understand is that every hospital has its own story, but Mercy's struggles mirror what's happening at other safety nets, just this big lack of resources.
0: And you didn't just report on Mercy, though. You wanted to understand why health care is so unequal in Chicago. Tell us a little bit about the time you spent at St. Bernard in the Englewood neighborhood.
2: Yeah, so St. Bernard is another safety net. It's about five miles south of Mercy, and it faces a lot of the same issues that Mercy had. Two big things here that are problems that, again, a lot of safety nets experience are infrastructure and staff. So at St. Bernard, you know, they have this original hospital building that has marble floors, a beautiful chapel, but they don't use this building for patients. It's just not something that they're able to do. It's administrative offices. But this building is really expensive to maintain. Another issue is that they can't keep nurses and they have a hard time hiring them. So during the pandemic, a lot of nurses left for private agencies. And these agencies paid, in some cases, six times more than St. Bernard. I spent some time with Yolanda Penny. She's the director of nursing at St. Bernard. And she helps explain this struggle.
1: Our salaries cannot compete with the university of anybody right now. People who work here want to be here, and it's not necessarily for what they make.
2: Earlier this year, there was a local study that found that Chicagoans who live on the south and west sides have, quote, the most scarce access to medical care compared to the rest of the city. Just to give you a flavor of what's happening here, there's this massive drought of doctors. So, for example, when it comes to psychiatrists, there are just six for every 100,000 residents on the south side. Compare that to 23. For every 100,000 residents throughout the entire city.
0: And Kristen, I understand that one thing that you've heard from experts and sources that you talk to about safety net hospitals is the importance of doing more planning for healthcare. What does that mean, and how does that kind of fit into this bigger picture?
2: Yeah, this was a constant theme that kept coming up with people I talked to, just that there's no planning for the type of medical services people actually need, and then no way to make sure that places with the highest need get more services. And this is happening not just in Chicago, but across Illinois. So you think of Mercy and these other safety nets. They're shells of what they used to be. They're full of empty hospital beds. Many want to transform into something different, a smaller hospital like St. Bernard wants to do that, um, or outpatient centers, but it's expensive to make these big changes, right? And other people told me that maybe hospitals should focus on doing a few jobs, like maybe one should specialize in cardiac care, one should specialize in OB. The idea is to divvy up the resources.
0: Okay, so if more deliberate healthcare planning can mean more equitable access to care, why can't we just do that?
2: Yeah, This is something I talked a lot about with Dr. Linda Ray Murray. She sits on a state government board that regulates hospitals in Illinois. So she says it's like asking, there's enough money in the world to feed everybody. Why are people starving? So in Chicago, there might be enough hospitals and enough beds for patients, but they're not distributed equally. And not everyone has access to them. I mean, if they don't take your insurance or if you don't have insurance, you might not get in. And then there's this big thing. So Murray acknowledges that the regulatory board she sits on, it doesn't have much power. It can't force hospitals to do more or less.
1: There's no way right now that that any part of government can force a corporation like Trinity Health to lose $3 million a, a month or whatever,
2: forever. So what Dr. Murray is saying is that unless governments have the power to finance hospitals, to make them viable, that there's not much they can do. Hospitals are private businesses, and many are driven by making money, not necessarily by what patients need. So, all of this that we just talked about, it makes it really hard to make healthcare access equitable.
0: So, a big question that pops up is what can be done in an environment where safety net hospitals are struggling, the options for propping them up are pretty limited? What kind of solutions are people considering?
2: Well, there are a lot of collaborations happening on a smaller scale, driven by providers that normally compete. So on the south side, St. Bernard is teaming up with the University of Chicago Medical Center and several other safety nets and clinics um, to bring more than 100 doctors to the area. Remember that massive drought of physicians I mentioned on the south side? And they're getting $26 million from the state to do so. There's also this constant drumbeat for hospitals to get reimbursed at higher rates, um, specifically for patients who have Medicaid insurance. That's government insurance for people who are low-income or disabled. Um, you know, a lot of people I talk to, though, stress this need for preventative care, you know, making sure there are more primary care doctors in neighborhoods, more parks where people can actually be, you know, healthier, more grocery stores, that hospitals should be the last resort.
0: Kristen, thanks for your great reporting on these safety net hospitals. Sure. Thanks, Maba. WBEZ's Kristen Schorsch covers public health and Cook County government. You can read her whole Mercy Hospital investigation at WBEZ.org. This story is part of a fellowship with the Association of Healthcare Journalists, supported by the Commonwealth Fund. This is WBEZ.